I've been asked to talk on uh, falling in love. But what I'd like to talk about is being loving. And I do see these two conditions as quite different. Of course, this is a very potent subject to try and address in a contemplative way. So acknowledging, as we begin, that this is an attempt to address this subject in a contemplative way. We don't get a lot of encouragement generally, uh, to investigate this matter. There's a lot of talk about it, a lot written about it, a lot sung about it, um, a lot felt about it. So how do we look into it? Can we look into it clearly? First then, what what do we understand by love? What is it? I would say that love is what we recognize when fear isn't happening in our hearts. In the translation in in the Christian tradition, there's a I quote, this is something like, perfect love casteth out all fear. I think this is talking about the same thing. It's not how I would put it. And I'm not sure what word the translator was using when he said, casteth out. A perfect love is the absence of the heart contraction that we experience as fear. We know the experience of fear. How do we experience love? Or let's talk about loving. How do we experience loving? One way of talking about it is to look at it as undivided attention. To experience love from another, to feel love, to receive love, to be loved, 
is to receive somebody else's undivided attention. They're not preoccupied with anybody else, anything else, including themselves. They are fully, wholeheartedly attending to us. And there's an incomparable beauty in that, in receiving the heart of another in such a manner, a richness and a fullness, an incomparable beauty. That's experience, experiencing loving on the outside. When that undivided attention, when our undivided attention is directed inwards, we call it samadhi. One-pointedness. And we experience a directly related sense of profound beauty and fullness, incomparable aliveness. Now we've considered many times before the cultivation of such undivided attention inwardly directed. But I think this evening's question is about this heart quality in the outer world. If we have experienced the capacity for offering such undivided attention, for being loving, if we've experienced being loving towards another or towards others or towards life, towards nature, it can be many objects, induct us into this experience. We've experienced this, all of us have experienced it at some stage. And obviously we're interested in how to cultivate it, how to cultivate being loving when there is so much that is so painful and coarse and disruptive and destructive in our lives and in the world around us. There's a natural and genuine interest in cultivating and sustaining the capacity for being loving. And the opportunities that do induct us into such an experience are precious. It could be doing spiritual work developing a meditation technique, being on retreat. It could be in the company of another, somebody who has realized fully realized the capacity of the heart for being loving. Just in their company we can be inducted into that. Or it could be in nature. Sometimes conditions conspire to Free us from fear. Fear falls away 
when fear ceases, for some magical reason, when fear ceases, when fear is not happening, love is. So of course we we want to learn to be loving and this is one of our important meditation objects, inwardly and outwardly. How to cultivate the heart's capacity for being loving. Considering it as undivided attention, I, I think is very helpful because we can look at the nature of divided attention. We can look at what it's like for our attention to be divided. We've got that. It's not easy to make ourselves be loving. In fact, we can't do it. I can't do it. It happens. But we can, through interest, direct ourselves towards the divided state and investigate it, become familiar with the divided state, investigate it, ponder it, look at it, become familiar with the dynamic. And as we do that, as we become familiar with the dynamic, we find we can undo the compulsion to be divided. And as we are freed from the compulsion to be divided in our consciousness, in our hearts, in our lives, we realize the heart's capacity to live free from fear. We naturally resume the disposition of, disposition of being loving. We naturally assume the disposition of being loving when we're not compulsively becoming divided. So the divided state for, for us is the normal state from the age of probably around about seven when, as we've talked about before, the child development theorists tell us that yeah, individuated sense of being a separate somebody is constellated by about the age of seven. Before that it's not fully differentiated and, and the child doesn't really have a sense of being separate from others in the world that it lives in. But around about that age, it does happen, and there's a personality established, an ego is established, and the perception of me and you and the world. And with that comes all the, my desires, my wants, I want. From the age of seven on, there's a lot more substance to the demanding of the child. Yeah, my desires and my ability to say no to you when you want something from me develops more solidity. My rights develop. This is my rights. Yeah. The idea of my rights. You know, for a baby, a baby doesn't have ideas of my rights. The personality does. But as the personality develops and we follow the habits of expressing my way, there's also a diminishing capacity for simply being loving, 
to simply being at one with, at one the pleasure of at one that happens when fear falls away, yeah. at oneness, the joy and the freedom of that state becomes less and less accessible to us as the momentum of expressing my way increases. And there's probably an age, I'm not sure when it is, probably early adolescence, when, when we start to look for ways of getting free from this, this agony of, of separateness, this agony of loneliness, this agony of dividedness, feeling divided. And, and maybe around that age, maybe the amount of early adolescence, we have our first experience of falling in love. Something happens. We don't quite know what it is, but we become incredibly interested in somebody else. And it's not mum or dad. Yeah. And it's magical. And there is an excitement and an enthusiasm that promises to be freeing for us. And that's the first major disturbance. That's the first hint of the task that we've got ahead of us. This wound that occurs in our childhood and it is a wound where where there's no more an opportunity to simply be one with life there's me now there's me and you and the world and 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 how do i return to that beautiful state that i i, I used to be in where there wasn't a care in the world how can i return to it i, I feel obstructed i feel cut off i feel wounded and it is that and it's painful and, and we think that somehow by the desires arise and we think that by following these desires that, that we're going to somehow get what we want. We, and we, we want to be happy and we think by following our desire to be happy we will become truly happy again. We believe there is a true profound happiness and if only we can get it and we grasp it more. But the more we grasp it, the more we strengthen the momentum of my way and the more we strengthen the momentum of my way, the more we strengthen the fear of not getting my way. The increase in force of the compulsion of my way is an equal, absolutely equal, increase in the force of fear of not getting my way. And for the increase in the force of the fear of not getting my way, there is the diminished capacity for being loving. And our life starts to unfold in all sorts of ways and We've got this div divided consciousness now and we believe in right and wrong and good and bad and, and we have this ability to judge situations and it should be like this and it shouldn't be like that and I should be like this and I shouldn't be like that and, and it doesn't often, it doesn't stop. And as the years go by, the momentum of it seems to increase. And yet there is still this inkling, this intuition that this something, this business of love is important to this. Somehow, maybe there's something within us that remembers the times when we have experienced it in childhood, when the freedom from fear, the freedom from separateness, is some sort of a solution. And so we hold out hope. And we write poetry about it and sing songs about it. And from time to time we experience something like we call falling in love. But we're also experiencing all sorts of other dividedness in our lives. And it seems to be that unless we're very careful and totally exceptional, 
our life gets constellated into chronic dividedness. Rather clumsy term. But everything is divided. And even I've even our professional life, people talk about going to work. There's being at home and there's going to work. Or if you're a professional meditator, sometimes, and as monks and nuns, sometimes I hear um, people talk about the real practice, which means there's the unreal practice. And the real practice, uh, they say, is when you're meditating. I've heard it said that when you're doing the real practice on retreat, then there aren't any problems. But as soon as you start talking to people and having relationships and doing work, then you get all these problems. And in that divided state of real practice and unreal practice, there's a real, there's an agonizing tension. Relationships and talking and work and people are an obstruction to my well-being. But who's responsible for, for that division? Where does real practice, the idea of real practice and unreal practice exist? In our divided minds, in our divided hearts. When we're sitting in meditation and the mind is not how we want it to be, Perhaps we have some resentment or we're resenting something somebody said or did. And we're unhappy with this resentment. We're struggling. If we look carefully, we'll find that there's a voice there that's saying, I shouldn't be angry. I shouldn't feel this way. Or maybe we're passionately in love with somebody and you're sitting there and it's an inappropriate passion you're sitting there meditating and something like that I shouldn't be this way it shouldn't be like that. where does that division of what should be and shouldn't be exist it exists in our own divided mind our own divided hearts So what I'm suggesting about the cultivation of being loving is that rather than trying to become more loving, which makes the way we are unloving and lacking and wrong, we look at what is, we look at the tendency we have in the moment to divide ourselves off from what is. If we approach our lives in this way, if we cultivate this strength of attention, we're cultivating undivided attention to the present moment. 
we are being loving in the present moment. And then if what happens one day, an object appears, probably another person, and that magic takes place whereby between these two people, fear falls away and this incomparable beauty manifests that we call loving. We won't divide our hearts and minds and start thinking about how we can have this experience. We won't spoil it. We will be loving. We will delight and be strengthened and transformed by the intensity of that experience. The intensity of that beauty and that joy and that enthusiasm has the power to transform the habit of selfishness. The momentum, the force of my way can be dissolved, can be transformed by that force of being loving with all of its intensity and all of its enthusiasm and all of its beauty, undiluted and undenied. Yet all of us also go through the experience of not being able to do that. Where we do fall in love. When we fall in love, the intensity and the enthusiasm and the magic of the moment that happens when fear falls away and the natural state becomes conscious, is absolutely intolerable to us. From the ego's perspective, from the unawakened personality's perspective, that enthusiasm is totally threatening. It can shatter us completely. It can make us feel like we're being driven mad. If we're not prepared for such intensity, then what happens is the pleasure of loving triggers the habit to contract and grasp. Uh, this pleasure is so beautiful I want it. And if that's our normal habit, to grasp at what is pleasurable, the momentum of my way is the default mechanism that happens in that moment. Instead of honoring the profound beauty of the experience and being it, we default to the momentum of my way how can I have it? Now, pointing this out is not to judge that momentum, it's to help us all consider it and recognize it as a habit. It is not an obligation. 
to try and grasp at pleasure is not an obligation, it's a habit, it's a choice that we make. And we can exercise the heart's ability to inhibit that contraction. And if we see how that contraction around desire, as soon as we grasp it, I want to make this pleasure last, we condition the exact opposite, equal opposite experience of I'm afraid it won't last. They go together, like the front and the back of the hand. You can't have one without the other. They go exactly together, equal amounts. And the tragedy is that as soon as that happens, once we've grasped at the desire of making it last, of having it, we condition the fear of not having it, and the heart contracts, and we lose the loving. We lose the loving in its pure form. And what happens, the heart no longer has the capacity to contain our enthusiasm, and it leaps out and lands on the other person. That's the subjective experience. As the open-hearted, beautiful state is lost because of the habit of desire and the consequence of fear, the heart energy leaps out and lands on the object, whether it's a thing in a shop that we feel we must have, or another person, or an ideal also, or a state of mind also. But let's stick with the idea of another person and the consequence of that is, I can't live without you. And that's true. I can't live without you. Because I don't have my heart anymore. You've got half of it at least. At least half of it. Yeah. And the truth is, I can't live without you. And I'll do anything to have you. And that's what the heart believes. And that's what the heart feels. And that's what the mind believes. The unawakened personality cannot live without the other. This feels like death. But from the perspective of the awakened personality, actually, that's a state of diminished responsibility. Now, to say so is not to diminish the experience, that we all have the experience and we all have to learn from the experience, but also let's recognize what the experience is as we betray ourselves and project our heart's passion and enthusiasm onto another object or another person, we have to suffer the consequences, which is we've betrayed ourselves. We say, I cannot tolerate my own heart's capacity for loving, so I will project it onto you and expect you to carry it for me. and we fall in love. So this is losing ourselves. When this happens, we lose ourselves. And there's a certain intoxication in it. And if we make a contract with each other, you, the, the unawakened personality and, and the, the other person, decide to collude with this delusion, then we can actually get together and become one whole. 
the two of us together, equally deluded states, become one whole. Now, there may well be, I expect there are, ways of working with the consequences of having fallen into that state. I'm not the person to discuss that. I don't have enough experience as an adult of of such relationships. But there are also ways of contemplating the dynamic of being loving so that we can prepare ourselves to benefit from the impulse to fall in love. As the possibility of the way dawns on us, we can start to see that even such threatening experiences as falling in love, because they are threatening, they don't just threaten to destroy our ego and and our personality subjectively, they do that for sure, but also they can threaten to ruin our lives. If you're a monk or a nun, and you fall in love, and you're not prepared for it, the consequences are very difficult. But we can prepare ourselves, or if you're married and you fall in love, the consequences are very difficult. But we can prepare ourselves so that we don't have to be afraid of this happening. We don't have to be afraid of the intensity. If we contemplate in this way, we can we can question for ourselves, do I want to be able to hold the tension that is the consequence of an ignorant relationship with my own heart capacity. When we fall in love, when we have the experience of falling in love, what's really taking place is we're challenged to own up to the consequences of our limited existence. We feel like, I can't handle this, I can't handle this. But if we decide to choose to handle it, say, I'm interested in learning to handle this, I'm interested in learning to handle all of my heart's enthusiasm for life. I'm interested in being loving fully, purifying the heart's capacity for being loving. If we've investigated it and considered this matter and then decide to exercise this choice, we can prepare ourselves so that when the passion arises, fear is not the default. Interest is the default. We're interested, we're enthusiastic because we see the potential, we see the potential that such enthusiasm has for dissolving the rigidity of our hearts. 
It feels impossible, for sure. From the perspective of ego, it's definitely impossible. But from the perspective of faith in the way, it's a profound power for transformation. And does not have to be frightening. So for this evening I'd like to offer these thoughts for your consideration. Mm-hmm.